Our Lord and God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for giving us another opportunity, Lord, to come and to worship together in your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, minds to understand. Also, Lord, soften our hearts. Soften our hearts that we may be able to receive that which is spoken tonight, not as coming from a man, but as coming from a vessel that is speaking on behalf of God. Lord, I decrease so that you may increase. I become less so that you and you alone may become more. I pray that your people would not hear me or see me, but they would hear you and see you. For your glory, Father, and for the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. As you, <clears throat> as you know, we are beginning and embarking on a new series called What is a Healthy Church Member? Before we begin that series, though, many of you are aware that I made an announcement that I was going to teach a lesson on a subject that I think that we believe, but may not be able to explain or defend. Some of you may have thought that I was going to go to the Doctrines of Grace or teach the Gospel. I'm actually going to go to something that hits a little bit uh, home for all of us, because we, we, besides the Gospel and besides the Doctrines of Grace that we we praise God for. There's something that we do every single week and make mention of every single week at one particular part of our time of worship together. And that is, I will say, I welcome all the church members to come and partake of the Lord's table. Some of you may be in this church and you have no idea why we should be a member of a church. Or you may be sitting here and saying, uh, I was never raised with the doctrine of being a church member. And you may have been like me, where you didn't encounter the, the doctrine or the teaching of church membership until you came to this church. So tonight, I would like to teach you how to defend and give you a biblical reason for church membership. You may have, again, rejected the notion until you came to this church. Member, why do I have to become a member? Why can't I just come to church? Where does the Bible teach church membership? And trust me, I understand all of those questions. I face them myself. And I understand that you have faced those questions, and for many of you, you have accepted the doctrine or the teaching, bless you, of church membership. But you may not be able to defend church membership, even if you've accepted it. And you may not be able to explain the reasons why you must, according to the scriptures, be a member of the church. So before we begin our series of what is a healthy church member, we are going to kick it off tonight by discussing the biblical teaching of church membership. So if you're having a title for a sermon or a lesson, why church membership? Next week, uh, I'll tell you toward the end of our time together, another why that we're going to do next week. But as many of you well know, many churches do not have a formal process of church membership. Here's the process of church membership that you and I probably experienced before we came to this church. It is you show up, and if you show up enough, people assume that you're a part of that church. There is no specific process. You show up and you're a member of the church. That's just the way it goes. 
As a matter of fact, many experts of church growth would say that if you want your church to grow, then you should make joining the church as easy as possible. That way no one would be offended or turned off by a process of becoming a member. But we believe the opposite is true. We believe when we raise the value of what it means to be a member of the local church, then we will know what it means to truly be united to Christ. We will know what it means to truly know Christ. We will know also the purpose for which we have been created, and we will therefore glorify God with our lives. So let us begin with a few opening points concerning disciples or followers of Christ. Just by a show of hands, how many would consider yourselves to be a follower of Christ who is concerned with obeying the commands of the one you say you follow? How many of you, yes, great. If you're not raising your hand, then uh, that's okay. Since this is your own confession, since you are saying of your own confession, I am concerned with obeying the commands of Christ, then your desire should be to obey what Christ has commanded you. And you should want to know all the things that he has commanded you so that you can obey all that he's commanded you. Amen? So our first point, this is a long point, but we'll go through each point individually. First point is biblically. Followers or disciples of Christ are not church avoiders, attenders, hoppers, or shoppers. I'll say that again. Biblically, church or followers of Christ or disciples of Christ are not church avoiders, attenders, hoppers, or shoppers. But biblically, followers of Christ are members of the local church. Is that a long enough point for you? Now remember, don't feel like you have to get every single one of those details down. If you want the sermon, I'll email it to you. We'll discuss, discuss each of these briefly, I know. <clears throat> but if a person calls himself a follower of Christ, and they are, listen close now. If a person calls himself a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, and they are not a member of the local church, and they don't ever plan on being a member of the local church, then biblically, they are living outside of God's will for their life. Biblically, they are outside of the commands of God for their life, and biblically, they are living in sin if they are not members of the local church. Now, someone may ask, how is that? How is that that one is living in sin simply because they are not a member of the local church? How can that be? They're believers in Christ. How could it be that there are those who are living in sin? Where do you find that? I pray that as we progress in this teaching, the Lord will give you eyes to see how one who is not a member of the local church cannot truly obey the commands of Christ because the commands of Christ are obeyed within the context of the local church. For now, let us discuss the, what followers of Christ are not. Number one, or sub-point number one, they are not church avoiders. Let me just slow down on that point. If you are a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, you are not a church avoider. These are people who want to live their so-called Christian lives autonomously. On their own, they wish, as Proverbs 29, 18, they wish to, to cast off all restraint. They have absolutely no desire to share in deeper fellowship with the members of the local church, and they reject the notion of submitting to pastors and elders of the local church. They are ones who claim the name of Christ, but reject his bride, and reject his authority over their lives. They are ones who name the name of God only when it is convenient for them. And they are ones who distort the truth of God for their own personal pleasures. 
As followers of Christ, we can never claim to be a follower or disciple of Christ and choose to avoid his bride. Secondly, sub-point number two, followers of Christ are not merely church attenders. We are not merely church attenders. Now that may seem like an odd point because we do attend local gatherings. But as followers of Christ, we do not merely or only or simply attend local gatherings. Mere attendance is not the true anatomy of a true disciple of Christ. Mere attendance is not the true anatomy. It's not the true makeup of a true follower of Christ. These mere attenders believe that simply attending once a week will suffice for their maturation and growth, but they refuse to join, become committed to the local church. They will attend local church gatherings, but they will also reject the idea of making a deeper commitment to the local church by becoming a recognizable member of the local church. They believe that attendance is all that God requires. And and they don't realize, or maybe they do, that they are selfishly using the local church for their own desires. That may sound harsh, but you have to see how the church makes a commitment to serve, and yet they refuse to reciprocate that commitment by also committing to serve the church as well. The church is here to serve, and they take full advantage. Yes, serve me, feed me, give to me, but I will give nothing back. A true disciple of Christ is a member of the local church. Three, sub-point number three. Followers of Christ are not church hoppers. True disciples of Christ are not, as it has become known as, church hoppers. These are those who will hop from one church to another. They will never settle and never become committed to one specific local church. Neither do they feel the need to do so. What's the reason for their unsettledness? A number of things. They will hop from one church to another depending on the subject that is being taught at another church. They will hop from one church to another depending on what speaker is speaking at that particular church. What band is going to that particular church. Or what event is taking place at that particular church. They will hop to another church because of childcare, Because of the color of the carpet. Because of a new design. There are a number of reasons why one person will say I'm hopping to another place. And most often than not, the reasons why people hop from one church to another are not reasons that are related to something biblical. It's usually something non-biblical. Do you hear what I say by that? It's, it's something that's usually not related to the gospel. They're hopping from one church to another simply because of preference, not because of scripture. And that is a dangerous thing to do. I did not know that I needed a biblical reason to leave a church. I thought I could just leave. Yes, you can go wherever you want. But you have to understand that there are ways when you depart that break fellowship with other believers. And that is an unbiblical thing to do. You can leave a church in an unbiblical manner and therefore break fellowship. And when you see that individual say, I'm going to hide from them. Why hide? If you left in a biblical manner... There would be no reason for you to hide. You would be excited, happy to see that fellow brother or that fellow sister, rather than seeing them around the corner at Walmart on the east side, which I hate going to because I always see church people there, and say, oh gosh, let me not avoid, let me not go to that section or that aisle because they're there. Well, there's a reason why, because fellowship has been broken. As brothers and sisters in Christ, if we are truly concerned with 
being united in Christ, then our, our main objective beside upholding the gospel should be to maintain the fellowship and unity of the brethren. And when we just leave, like some people have done in this church, and, and recently, and tell no one, and respond to no one, then how in the world do you expect us to maintain Christian fellowship if you care not enough about the people that you are united to to even say goodbye? The perfect example of saying goodbye is what we see in our brother Joe, who is getting ready to move on, and for biblical reasons, to take care of his family, to do other things that I won't mention now, but you should talk to him about those things, and you'll be excited for him. And our, my responsibility as pastor is to find a church for him there. Call that pastor and say, there's a good member who is coming from this church, and we pray that you accept him into yours. That is biblical breaking, or, or, or and there is no breaking there. There's a continuing fellowship. When he comes back to, to the city, he has a church that loves him and misses him and will welcome him back. That's the way you do it. <clears throat> the sad truth is many churches are filled with those church hoppers. And they are simply church transplants. They are simply those who are not new converts, which churches should be filled of. There are people who are, are transplanting from one church to another. And that's what most churches are. They're just people going from one church to another, transplanting or hopping from one church to another. And now, that's where they are. But they won't stay. Because they have never learned what it means to be truly committed to the local church. Nor do they want to. It's too constraining for them. We do not want to be mere transplants in this church. We want to be those who have been evangelized and those who are being discipled in the local church. Church hoppers will not become members of a local church. There are too many things that are drawing them away. So they stay and they remain unfaithful to the bride of Christ. Which leads us to our next point, sub-point number four, church shoppers. Disciples of Christ are not church shoppers. And it is a sad reality that those who claim to be disciples of Christ have taken a consumer mentality to the local church, to the bride of Christ. They have done what the average consumer does when they are looking for the best possible product at the best possible price. If another church is doing better music... They will go to that church. If another church is doing better child care, they will go to that church. Better entertainment, they will go to that church. They will go to another church where they can find a better deal. Let us be clear. Looking for a church and shopping for a church or hopping from church to church are two different things. Looking for a church and shopping and hopping from church to church are two different things. If you're looking for a church, find a church and commit your life to that church and to that body, becoming an identified member of that local church. But if you're just hopping and shopping, then you need to ask the Lord to forgive you and you need to repent for abusing and using the local church for your own selfish needs. <clears throat> Do not abuse the local church by merely taking advantage of the wonderful things, and they are wonderful things, that the local church has to offer. All of the means of grace that the, that the local church has to offer and never make a commitment to that local church. I want to show you that if you claim to be a follower of Christ and you have no church, then your first priority should be to find a church and commit your life to that church. Now, let's return to the question that may be filling your minds. Well, is all this biblical? Show me in the Bible where it says you must become a member of the local church. I'm saying all this for your benefit, okay? This is so that when people say to you, I'm a member of, local church, of, of RBC, member. What do you mean by member? 
you should be able to explain what a member is and what a member is not. What a follower is and what a follower is not. Amen? Amen. I in no way want to mislead you. You will not find one place in the New or Old Testament that explicitly commands that you must become a member of a church in so many words. You will not find a specific verse that says, you should, thou must become a member of the local church. And for many people, that settles it. If the Bible is not, does not, and here's a word that I'm saying, the Bible does not explicitly state the command to join the local church, then that settles it. I don't need to become a member of the local church. But before you reject this teaching, you must also understand that there are a number of biblical doctrines that historically are accepted and taught that you will never find explicitly, there's that word again, stated in Scripture. Can you think of one? What's the main one? The Trinity. Nowhere in Scripture do you find the word Trinity. But yet it is a historical doctrine that has been accepted by those who are truly followers of Christ. If you do not believe in the Trinity, then you cannot truly call yourself a follower disciple of Christ. What's another one? How about substitutionary atonement? We believe it. We teach it that Christ is our substitute, that he took our place. But you don't find those words in so many words in the scriptures. But we believe that doctrine wholeheartedly. Immutability, that God is unchanging. We believe that God is unchanging. But you won't find immutability necessarily in so many words in scripture. Impassibility. That's another one that we believe. Total depravity. And the list goes on and on and on of so many doctrines that we practice and that we believe, but you will not necessarily find those specific words in Scripture. But they are biblical doctrines that we accept. Wholeheartedly we accept. There are things that are not explicitly stated in Scripture, but yet they are consistently, here's another word for you, implied in Scripture. And they detail who God is, and the design of his plan. This is also true for church membership. It is not explicitly stated, but it is absolutely, overwhelmingly, as you will see, implied all throughout the entire New Testament. No, where would this be implied? The implications for church membership are most seen in the gathering of the local church, number one. In the existence of church government, number two. And in the mutual, in the exercise of church discipline and, and restoration, number three. And the exhortation of mutual edification. Let me say that again. The implications of church membership are most seen in the gathering of the local church. The existence of church government. The exercise of church discipline and, and, and restoration. And also, exhortation and mutual edification. We're going to go through all of those points, so if you didn't get them, we're going to go over, the game, over them again. Here's the first one. The gathering of the local church in the New Testament. The primary word for church in the New Testament is this. Ecclesia. Ecclesia, which means gathering or assembly. There are times when the Bible talks about a global gathering of believers throughout time, which is where we get the word Catholic from. That is a universal Universal church. Catholic meaning universal. When the scripture talks about church in the New Testament, 
more often than not, it is not speaking about a universal church, but rather it is speaking about a specific church. I'll say that again. When the Bible talks about church, ecclesia, it is more often than not, not speaking about, and I'll tell you how many the, the number is in a moment, not talking about the universal church, but it is more often than not speaking about the local church. Incidentally, that is an argument that those who are ignorant of what the Bible teaches will use when describing their refusal to become a member of the local church. They will say things like, we're all the church. I'm already a member of Christ's church. I don't need to become a, a member of a local church. I'm already a member of his church. And there is some truth to those statements. Because they're speaking about the universal body. So yes, you are a member of the universal body. But the Bible does not stop there. And neither should you. Out of the 114 times, that's a number you should remember. Out of the 114 times that ecclesia, church, gathering, assembly is used, 90 of them, 90 of them, the overwhelming majority of them, are speaking about a specific, not a general, local gathering of believers in a specific, particular place. 90 out of 114 are speaking about the local church. Here's a few. Acts 11.22. Now listen to this. Matter of fact, we have enough time. Why don't you turn there very quickly. This will be one of the verses I ask you to turn to. Turn there quickly. <clears throat> I'm going to go. Acts 11.22. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. This is a specific reference to a gathering of believers at a specific place in Jerusalem. Romans 16.3, you don't need to take, uh, write this down, but it's there. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. This is Paul. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but for all the churches of the Gentiles. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Listen to what he says. Greet also the church that meets at their house. A local gathering of believers who are recognizably members of that particular church. The church of Priscilla and Aquila. 1 Corinthians 1-2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those who are called, who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul first talks about the universal. To the church of God in Corinth. All the churches in Corinth, Right? And then he goes specific. 1 Corinthians 16, 19, the churches in the province of Asia also send you greetings, Aquila and Priscilla. Greet you warmly, and so does the church that meets at their house. So here we have local and global. Universal and local church referenced here. These are examples, three or four that I just gave you, of 90. Would you like me to go through all 90? No, <laughs> not going to do that. These examples that I've provided for you, they're just scratching the surface. They are overwhelming in Scripture, teaching that believers living in specific places are meeting together in local gatherings, which are called churches, local churches, and they are members of those local churches. These are people who regularly met in these local churches and were recognizable members. You may say, how are believers recognizable members? Take this note down, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. Believers are those who are recognized as being repented of sin, 
having placed their faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ alone on their behalf, and who have been baptized. They've identified themselves with the life, death, and burial of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. In so doing, the local church does what? It affirms that they not only have identified themselves with Christ, but they have also identified themselves with that local church. Now, how do they identify themselves with that local church at that particular time? The same way we do today. Through baptism. Through baptism. What would someone do before they're baptized? What do we do before we're baptized? We confess our faith in Christ. And the church does what? It is a witness that you have repented of sin, that you trusted in Christ, so much so that you are willing to publicly identify yourself with him and with his church. And the church says to that person, you are now one of us. And we now recognize you as a member of this church. Do you realize that back then you could lose your life for doing that? It was that much. Or it was that significant. And even uh, the significance of the going under the water. It is symbolically living, dying, and being raised with Christ. And the church is saying we recognize that. Again, recognizably repentant, baptized. Financially also. They financially supported the church. They came also under the care and submission of shepherding elders who were actively living and sharing their faith as well. This is how we recognize who are those, those who are a part of a local church. They consistently gathered with the members of the local church for the purpose of worships and song, worship in hearing and obedience of the word of God, worship at the Lord's table, worship in giving, fellowship, evangelism, missions, and delighting in God. They did this as often as they gathered. In the church of Ephesus, you have uh, an interesting dichotomy there. You have Jews and Gentiles who traditionally hated one another. But now in Christ, there's a change in their relationship. You read this in verses 11 through 16 of Ephesians 2. That when you are in covenant with Christ, it creates a whole new community. We are now in covenant with each other and in covenant with God. Covenant with God and in covenant with each other. Why? How? By way of relationship with God, we have relationship with one another. By way of being committed to God, we have commitment to one another. They were united in one body, and they committed themselves to the members as members of the local church. Did they go through a class? You may ask. Did they go through a class like we have to go through a six-week class, and now it's a seven-week class? Maybe not exactly the way that we do it. But listen, historically, there was a process of establishing and knowing that that person has confessed faith in Christ before they were baptized. There was recognizable uh, fruits of salvation pouring out of that person's life before the church would make it the commitment to say, you will be baptized. Be baptized, brother. There was a questioning. Read this through the book of Acts. When did you come to believe? Who did you hear the gospel from? Who preached it to you? You going to tell me there was no process? Did you just show up and there you are? then you don't know your scriptures. We'll discuss this more towards the end. When a follower of Christ hears this, here's the question they should be asking. What specific gathering of believers do I belong to then? What specific gathering of believers have I committed my life to then? Here's another question. If Paul wrote to you, where would he find you? 
Oh, he finds me everywhere. I get around. I go all over the place. I even watch church from home on the internet. We've made it so easy that I could just listen to you guys anytime I want to. I don't even get to show up at church. I will say that if you are living that kind of lifestyle, if that's your approach, and listen to me when I say this. You have to recognize that when I say these things, that this sermon is also being heard by people that are outside of this church. There are people that we have had that have emailed me from Africa that are hearing these sermons. So this is not me picking on you. This is me preaching this to all who have ears to hear. That you should be saying, what local church do I belong to? Have I committed myself to? And if you are not and choose not to, then you're living outside of God's design for your life. You may be thinking, what's the big deal? I'm in church. I'm still going to church. Why does it matter? It matters. Let's get into the next point to show why it does matter. As followers of Christ, we are served by and submissive to church leaders. Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that will be no no advantage to you. Hebrews 13.17 That is not a, a scripture that I just made up. That's a command from the Holy Word of God that has endured over the generations. And this passage, I want to say to you, I understand, is read or heard with uh, challenging ears or ears that are challenged by what you just heard. I say to you, I understand you're being challenged by a verse like that because that verse has been abused by so many people in authority. Pastors have abused authority and have caused skepticism and cynicism to fill minds of those who have been abused by authority figures, authoritative figures in the past. But those who understand a role, those who truly understand the role of a shepherd, that they are to be shepherds of the flock of God, understand this with that passage in mind. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. So you may have been sitting under people who have abused their authority. They may have read that first verse and said, obey, 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 and not read the next verse that says, we will give an account. As a pastor, as a leader, Scripture makes it clear that I will stand before God to give an account for the people that I lead. So I do so with fear and trembling. I do so by the grace of God and by the help of God with all of the humility that he gives me the strength to, to, to have. This is why, by the grace of God, we preach why we do or how we do. This is why, by the grace of God, we disciple as we do. There can be no compromise. There can be no distorting the truth because fearfully we recognize that we will stand before God one day and give an account for the responsibility that has been entrusted to us. Now, does this mean that I am accountable or responsible for the universal body of Christ. If someone says, well, we're all the church, does that mean, does that scripture mean then that, that pastors are responsible for all of the church, of all the people who call themselves believers? No. I am only accountable, we as elders are only accountable for those who God has brought into our care, into this local church, who have come under the leadership and have committed to the local members of this church. The Bible says in Acts 20, 20, 28, 20, 28, elders and pastors are responsible for the flock 
and have been entrusted to their care. 1 Peter 5 encourages elders and pastors to shepherd the flock that is under their care. We are all commanded to obey and to submit to the, to the leaders of the local church. It is a command from God. It's a command from God. Question. If we are all the church, and it doesn't matter where you go, then how are you to obey this command of submitting to those leaders and elders over your life? How do you obey that command? If it's a command from God, obey your leaders. Submit to them. And you have no church, and you refuse to join a church, then how do you obey that command? You don't. And if you're not, then what are you doing? You're living in sin. I'll go wherever I want. I'll do whatever I want. Then yes, you're a rebel. And you're refusing to obey the commands of God. Are you to submit to every leader of the, of the church, of the, of the universal church? No. Who are you to submit to? You are, sub, you are to submit to the ones who lead you. Here's the question. Who have you submitted yourself to? Whose care have you come under? You are not to submit to every pastor and every leader. If a pastor down the street tells you to do something, tell him no. You're not my pastor. And you may want to give them the respect of calling them pastor. and You don't have to. It's up to you if you want to. That's fine. That's respectful. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little rebellious now. That, that's okay. You can do that. But they're not your pastor. You have not come... Un- and and that, that goes also when you're hearing other pastors. That's great that you, you, you hear and you glean from other pastors. That's great. Paul Washer's not your pastor. You don't want Paul Washer as your pastor. Maybe you do. But here's who your pastors are. Myself, Isaiah, and John. And God is raising up others in this church. Those are the ones that biblically you have submitted to. And prayerfully, we have not abused that. But prayerfully, you have seen that we've done nothing but try to serve in the most humble of ways. So that you can grow to the glory of God. And be used for the glory of God to make his name great. Second question again is, who are you submitted to? That's for you to answer. That's for you to answer. And this may be why some people don't want anything to do with church. Because they feel that their lives can be lived however they want. Without the responsibility of being accountable to anyone. But if you come to this church... And you leave and you talk negatively about elders and consistently challenge their teachings, refuse to have conversations with, with them, but you talk to everyone else, then you're a rebel. And you're in danger of the judgment of God. And not rebellion against men, but rebellion against God. And what God has commanded, and trust me, probably more than most of you, I know, and I admittedly say so, not pridefully, but, but to my shame, I know all too well what it means to be a rebel against authoritative figures. If you know anything about my past church, I was the biggest rebel in our church. And I was trying to be. Pastor could not tell me anything. And I'm leading everyone to rebel against him. Now, he may have been teaching heresy, but the way I conducted myself was also false. Our primary responsibility as elders and deacons is to be servants in the church. We serve God through the, through the church. 
the primary avenue of service is week by week delivering to you the word of God in a clear and faithful manner for God's glory and for your good. That is how we primarily serve the local church. And our responsibility also is to live lives of integrity, modeling the character of Christ and caring for the needs of the local church for God's glory and for your good. We are here as servants. We are not here as royal kings that you bow down to. We bow. We come. We serve. That's what we do. If that is the case, then why would you not want to come under the care of such leadership as a member of the local church? Next point. Church discipline and restoration of sinners is accomplished as a member of the local church. Let's go to really quick Matthew 18. And if you have uh, the ability to to hold two places uh, through your phones or through your your physical Bibles, also go to 1 Corinthians 5. Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read Matthew 18 and then also 1 Corinthians 5. These both address how the local church is responsible for addressing unrepentant sin and also restoring those who have repented of sin. This is one of the functions and purposes of the local church. If a member is a if a person is a member of the local church and they are running after sin, the Bible addresses how we are to handle that. Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. This is in the context of a local church. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You have, you have uh, uh, successfully accomplished restoration. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two brothers along with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. There's a conflict in the church. There's sin. There's an offense. You bring two or three brothers, if the brother has not listened initially, you bring two or three brothers with you from the local church to be witnesses to that person's unrepentance. If you refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. What church? Every church? Should I put it in the newspaper? All churches, hear ye, hear ye. Patrick is a sinner. No, he's not. He's a brother. But is that the way we are to handle sin? No. He's speaking about the local church. You come to the local church, and we at our members' meetings, have we not dealt with things sometimes in that way? That's exactly the way that you're supposed to deal with it. And also, as he goes on, the Lord tells us to the church, and if you refuse to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Who has the final say on whether or not we should dismember or excommunicate that particular person. Who has the final say? The local church. The local church comes into an agreement as a local committed uh, body that is corporately deciding, yes, this brother is unrepented of sin and he is now dismembered or excommunicated from our church. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. Paul obeys the command of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Or, yes, chapter 5. There was a brother there who was doing something heinous. And the church is accepting it. The church is even proud of it. 
It is actually reported, Paul says, that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerant even among the pagans. Godless people don't even do these things. For a man has his father's wife? And you are arrogant, meaning you're accepting of it. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Among you, wow. How? Where? Remove this brother from the local church. Paul is obeying what Christ has commanded. If there is one who is unrepented in sin, treat him as a tax collector. Treat him as someone who is not a believer. How is this accomplished again? It is accomplished through the context of the local church. In order to remove, now listen, in order to remove the unrepentant sinner from the local church, the person first had to be a recognized member of that local church. You can't remove someone that is not recognizably a member. Once they're a member, now you tell them you're no longer a member. But you can't just say, hey, you're not one of us. If they never were one of you, if they're just someone who randomly comes in, I'm not going to say to someone who randomly comes into this church every now and then, hey, you can't join us anymore because of your sin. He's not even committed himself, she's not even committed themselves to this church anyways. It is only when they decide that I come under the leadership of this church, I submit myself to this church, I commit myself to the members of this church, then do we begin to look out for them. And if there is sin, then we go to them. And if they are unrepentant of that sin, then we bring other brothers with us to encourage them to turn from that sin. And if that doesn't work, we take it to the church. This person is not turning from sin. And the church says, then we must treat that person as a tax collector and as a sinner. That only happens within the local, within the context of the local church. Now, how, how are we to obey the command of Christ in Matthew 18? And how are we to follow the example of Paul in 1 Corinthians 5? If you're not a member of the local church. Church discipline is a vital necessity in the local church. It's something people hate. If I were to come to you and lovingly say, brother, I think that you're living in sin. What would your response be? You don't have any right to tell me anything. That should not be your response. If you're living in in sin, unrepentant sin, would you not want loving members to lovingly, I say, come to you and urge you to repent of your sin? Or would you rather they allow you to continue in, in your sin so that you will one day face the judgment of God? I would rather you tell me you are headed toward a dead end cliff and there is danger ahead then you allow me to continue in my danger. If I'm wandering in sin, that will destroy my life, that will destroy my marriage, destroy this church and the reputation of Christ, then I am thankful for people who love me enough to warn me of danger that lies ahead. I'm not mad if you you tell me I'm living in sin. Only a prideful rebel would say, who do you think you are? But a, a, a humble servant of Christ would say, thank you. I did not even see my own error. There are so many people who will leave a church simply because we said, I don't think that's the best thing. I don't think that's glorifying God. Or even straight up, brother, you're living in sin. We'd like to take the scripture, you're not supposed to judge. Don't be a fool. That's not within the context of a local church. You are to judge in the context of a local church. You don't judge those outside because they're already judged. You don't judge those outside the church because Jesus says they stand condemned. 
You preach the gospel to them so that they will turn from their sin. But you do judge those in the local church because our reputation to the world and Christ's reputation to the world is at stake. So yes, call me on my sin. And I'm going to call you on yours too. You should want me to. You should desire that. Or do you want to go the rest of your life thinking that you're okay and you have no problems? No, I grow better when people show things to me that I can be better in. That's better for me. It helps me. My brother Tony is great at that. Those of you who, who think, uh, that's, I ain't going to tell him nothing. That man wants you to show him things in this life that maybe not glorify God. And he'll accept it. He'll embrace it. We should never be afraid, no matter who it is, to go to that person and say, hey, there's some things that I don't think are glorifying God. Amen? Amen. Now, don't push him up in a corner. That would be a bad thing to do. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> the last thing I want you to do is fold your arms and say that's your problem. As members of the local church, we obey the command to love one another and also to correct one another, to pray for one another. And we'll get into this later. But this happens within the context of a local church and we're just about done. In Matthew 18, the purpose of confronting sin, why? To show that person how bad he was? No. Is so that person will turn from their sin and return to Christ. And that's exactly what happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul urges the members of that local church who have acted upon dismembering that individual. They've acted upon it. Now that that individual has repented and he wants to be rejoined to the church. And they're saying, no, no, no. No, you can't ever come back. Paul is urging them, forgive him. Comfort him. Or else he's going to be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. And that is the point of confronting sin. So that a person can turn from their sin and be reconciled to Christ. Paul obeys the command of Christ. And how does he do it? Within the context of the local church. All of this is in the context of the local church. Jesus and Paul are in agreement. This practice of discipline and restoration is accomplished within the context of the local church. Now those who refuse to commit, you're going to continue to live your life doing whatever you want to do. And there are not going to be people who love you enough within the context of the local church, those you've committed to, to say, brother, I think that you're going in the wrong direction. It is the height of callous indifference to watch a fellow believer head down a road to destruction. Christ comes after us. We must go after one another. Which leads us to our last and final point. Accountability and one another's are accomplished within the context of the local church. Acts chapter 6, the members of a local church, listen, this is for the members. They are accountable for appointing and choosing leaders of a local church. There will come soon a time when I will send you a, an email or have during our members meetings a candidate for a person who could be an elder and a deacon and the elders of the church do not have the final say on whether or not that person should be a, an elder a deacon or serve in any capacity of the church the members of this church will be able to say and recognize yes that is a faithful brother yes that is a faithful sister we welcome him we encourage his leadership over this particular church that's your responsibility you thought your responsibility would just come listen and go but you actually have a responsibility to recognize leaders and to appoint them in the local church to serve. Your job. 
This is the responsibility of the members. Members are to affirm and support them. First, uh, Galatians 1, 6-9, and 2 Timothy 4, the members of a local church are accountable for making sure the gospel is being preached. Your job, your responsibility is to make sure that when I stand behind this pulpit, that the gospel is being clearly preached week after week. I had a discussion with one of our, our members just this past yesterday, actually, who said that the elders of the church voted out another elder. And I said, that's good. If the person's not preaching the gospel, they have the authority to do that. I said, in our church, the elders and the members have the authority to to vote me out and say, we no longer want you because you're not preaching the gospel. That is your job. To make sure the gospel is being preached. Not to sit there and take whatever's heard. It is to sit there and make sure the gospel is clear. It's being preached week after week. And if it's not then you must remove the person who's preaching that. That's your responsibility. It's your job. You never thought that. You never saw that. You never knew that. That's your job. You have another job. Acts 13, the members of a local church are accountable for commissioning missionaries. It is your responsibility to pray and to send out missionaries from this local church to reach the nations. Your job. My job is to look for people who are faithful preachers and and passionate for God's word and say, let's send them somewhere. (laughs) Let's send them somewhere. Let's send them. The scriptures are calling for the members of the local church to be more than attenders. The scriptures are calling for the local church to be more than people who just slip in and slip out and slip in and slip out. The scriptures are calling for members of a local church to be vital, arms, legs, feet, eyes, and hands of the local church. And we are so connected that 1 Corinthians tells us that when one person suffers, when one part suffers, we all suffer. That's how close we are. It is that kind of unity that we are looking for. And we are also responsible for... 59 commands, and there's 14 of them in the New Testament, that command us to love one another, correct one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, greet one another, bear one another's burdens, not lie to one another, be kind to one another. All of these, 59 of them, 14 in the New Testament, they're your job. They're your responsibility. It's not a slip in and slip out, show up late, leave early. It's come early. Love people. It's come early. Pray for people. It's come early and stay late. Encourage one another. It's come early and greet one another. It's stay late and greet those you didn't get to greet. It's coming and bearing one another's burdens. It's speaking to someone and not lying to them. About what? Not about the color of their hair or their weight. But about whether or not their lives are being lived to the glory of God. That's how we lie to one another. Don't lie to one another. Don't flatter someone and say, yeah, you're doing good, you're doing good, when you know they're not. There's one thing that I I thank God for in my life that I don't flatter people per se. That when something needs to be said, it'll be said. And by the grace of God, God please, it'll be said in the most loving of ways. Being kind to one another. How can you best show kindness to people in their local church, loving them, praying for them, greeting them, encouraging them, on and on, bearing each other's burdens. This is all accomplished within the context of the local church. Not that this should be a command that we don't do in our lives, 
But scripture is most specifically speaking about accomplishing that in the local church. Why? Why only the local church specifically? Because we are to be an example to the unbelieving world. The early church, what drew people to the early church? They, they would say, see how they love one another. See how they love one another. That should be our greatest desire in this church. You should know every single name. You shouldn't have got that member's directory and threw it. No, I don't care. You should be looking through that member's directory and praying for those people on that list. You should be looking through that member's directory and texting people, I'm praying for you. Texting people, man, I'm praying for you. I love you. It's good to see you Sunday. Hey, I haven't seen you. Is everything okay? That's the kind of care that we need in this local church. And that's the kind of care that takes place among members. And those of you who are just attending and and coming every now and then, that's what you're also missing. You're missing a depth of, of commitment and a depth of fellowship that you won't get. Unless you decide to become a faithful member of this local church. Matthew 18, or 28, 18, you don't need to turn there, we're closing with this. Go into all the, the world and make disciples of all nations. We know that. How is that, that accomplished? It's accomplished through the local church. It is a command to the universal church and it is most visible in the local church. As we are sending out and going out into the nations, evangelizing and making disciples. Each week we are being equipped to go disciple and to call people to repentance and making Christ known to those people. The church is not an audience of spectators, brothers and sisters. You're not there to just spectate and judge and say, that was good, that was great. You have a job. You have responsibility. I love when some of you say, I haven't heard from so-and-so. I think I'll, be, I'll give them a call. I haven't seen so-and-so. I think I'll get them a gift card. I know so-and-so is kind of struggling right now. I'm going to go buy them some groceries. We are, we are fellow disciple makers of Christ. I said this uh, in the, the first time I prepared this sermon. Is, is God has not saved you to sideline you. God has saved you to send you out into the nations. And your launching point is the local church. We have this good news. Why would we, why would God put us here to sideline us? We're not an audience of spectators. You're here to proclaim Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. And this is one of the great purposes of following Christ and being a member of the local church. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. From the very beginning, following meant fishing meant following, following meant fishing. That you would be spreading the gospel. God has put his spirit inside of you to be a witness. Not to live in a Christian bubble, but to proclaim the gospel. And if you are a part of this local church, then that's what, you will, that's what you'll do and that's what you, who you are. Ending is this, what about you? Can you now defend this? Do you now know why you're a member of a local church? Are you open If not, to becoming an intimate member of the people that are sitting around you. Not just coming Sundays, but sharing life with the people here in this local church. Are you willing to be shepherded by pastors of a local church who have assumed responsibility for your care before God? Have you committed your life to the local church to the point that you have even invited, invited, invited discipline and restoration in your life? So that you don't wander from Christ? Have you committed to that local church? this local church, your gifts and your skills for the glory of God. The New Testament says if you have not done this and you are living opposite of the will of God for your life and you're living in sin, I pray 
that you seriously consider, if you are not a member, becoming a member. I seriously consider that if you don't know how to defend membership, then you better know how to defend it. And for those of you who know believers who know nothing and want nothing of church membership, you now have 45, 50 minutes of information that you can share with them. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for this time. We pray that your people were edified. We pray that you were glorified. We thank you, God, that you will strengthen us through what was discussed tonight. You will strengthen our resolve for membership. You will encourage, Lord, those of us who have conviction of why we are not. You would encourage us to to now see and obey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.